it was something that we, we, Jelaine lets me know as well. She's like, what is that noise like in the background? Does she say it like that? No, she doesn't. And it's funny because she's, she says the same thing when I say that. She goes, do I sound like that? I'm like, no, you don't, sweetie. I'm sorry. So don't, you don't sound like a, a valley girl by any means. So that's on recording now, too. Thanks, Amber. I'm going to have to edit that part out. There's apps, too, that you can download. Yep. I'm going to edit that out. So. <laughs> So don't say anything to her, please. Anyways, so we're going through Romans, and I'm not doing anything in a particular order, but my, my goal and my objective is to be able to go through the entire book out of at least hitting on or hitting in at least each chapter throughout the book of Romans. So last week we spoke out of chapter 8. Guess what? This week we're staying in chapter 8 because there's some good stuff in it. The whole book of Romans is great, but... There's some stuff in reading. I, I sat down this morning. I told my wife, I said, okay, I want to go over this because it, it follows up pretty well with what we spoke about last week. So teacher moment here. What did we talk about last week? You guys remember? What was that? Life through the Spirit. Redeem the family. Redeem the family name with that one. Life through the Spirit. What did we talk about when it comes to life through the Spirit? You don't have that written down. Well, I did underline something. Okay, go for it. Mind governed by flesh is death, but mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Amen. So, we talked about the development of fruitfulness, right? And how our relationship with the Lord calls for us to develop spiritual fruits. Okay? And we talked about a, a main barrier in choking out that fruit. And what is that three-letter word that we say in church oh so often? Sin, right? And we, we also spoke about just the way that we are hinged to sin in three different elements. And I will bring whoever answers this question right a candy bar next week. If you remember the three things I wrote on the board, three things that, that hinge us, that, that weave us to sin. I'll start off with one to remind you. One is the world. What's the other two? Desire. Nope. There's, there's another one. What's the other one? It starts, it's world, flesh. It is, it is a D word. World, flesh. What was that? Good job, Todd. World, flesh, and the devil. The world broadcasts sin for us, right? So it wants to draw us to it. Our, our flesh craves sin in our natural state, right? We are sinful in nature. So even though Jesus Christ died for us and, and he killed and beat sin, we still struggle with that sinful nature. All of you can attest to that. I can attest to that as well, right? Paul says, why is it I do the things that I don't want to do, yet the things I desire to do I cannot do? He's speaking about even Paul himself, a struggle with the sinful nature. Okay? And then there's a devil. There's an enemy. He loves to just work through and piggyback off of sin. And I reminded you guys that this world would still have sin even without the devil. Right? Got to get that part down too. So it's in our sin that the devil sits there and he, he takes the things that God has given us. I spoke about anger, right? 
I love speaking about this because it makes a lot of people squirm in the pews. It says in, in Ephesians, in your anger, there's acknowledging you're going to get angry sometime. Maybe a lot of times. Maybe more than a lot of times. But it's in your anger. Don't let the devil get a foothold on you. How many of us have slipped to let it? There you go. So this is this is stuff that to me when I read the word is very, very refreshing and comforting because once again it's like the word knows my heart. I know what it's like to be angry, but I also know what it's like when that anger is completely out of control. It may be something that could just stay little spawned into something much, much worse. So those are the things that we spoke about last week okay today we're going to stay in romans 8 but we're going to go to verse 18 so i'm gonna have you guys look at verse 18 and the headline of this of this part of romans 8 is present suffering and future glory okay very very comforting passages here i'm going to go from 18 to just 27 how many of you know what it's like to suffer all of our hands should kind of be up. How many of you have, have just had places in your life where you just didn't know what tomorrow was going to bring? How many of you maybe just got so hung up on yesterday that it affected today? Which then kind of return made you not even care so much about tomorrow. Right? And it just puts you in this weird, numb state of existence. Okay? To me, when I, when I think of that, I think of suffering, okay? I think of this, this, this place of just not, not feeling the greatest, but sometimes not being able to, to see that far out, so therefore I just feel almost trapped. But the, the beauty of a relationship with Jesus Christ is, is he presents to you a truth that even in the midst of your suffering, that there is something better to come. That even in the midst of your suffering, that you yourself will get something back from that suffering. That you'll get character, you'll get strength, you'll get perseverance, which will then better equip you for future suffering, which will better equip you to glorify God in the midst of that suffering. Because as it says in the Word, to live is, to, is, is Christ and to die is to gain. We live for Jesus Christ because he died for us. Okay? So... I'm going to start off here at Romans 8, verse 18. I'm do my, my thing walking up and down here so you guys can hear me. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul is starting off saying, anything that we go through in this life is going to pale in comparison to the things that are yet to come. Okay? I'm going to give you a great analogy that he uses and that you actually read throughout the scriptures as well. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Who is the creation? You guys think, what is the creation? We can speak a lot now even about the times. The creation. Not God. Not the creator. Not even us because he's sitting here saying for the children of God to be revealed. This is some deep stuff that Paul's really hitting you guys with. Let's go. I'm going to get a little bit more specific. 
Earth right now or creation is everything that you guys have around you. If you read back in Romans chapter 1, it says that creation itself testifies for God's existence. So no one can have excuse. Okay, they suppress the truth of God for their wicked ways. The trees, the trees are even growing. Okay? The weather, as I said, is even broken, right? We have social unrest going on right now, right? Weather, COVID-19, wildfires, creation itself, as Paul is sitting here saying, that for the creation waits the eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So, we're going to break this down for you a little bit here. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration. What do you guys think is another word for frustration here that we can use? It's that three-letter word I used earlier. Sin. Okay? It wasn't just us. The world is broken. We can agree, right? Once again, I love saying even the weather, even the weather's broken. Okay? Trees and, and, and diseases and social under all these things, the things that we see around us, all of creation. God created creation. Even creation itself was subjected to frustration, to sin. So this should give you, if anything, a little bit of an identity of what the new heaven and new earth will look like, right? Even the lion will lay with the lamb. Right? We sometimes just sit there and think that we ourselves are the ones that are subject to frustration. There will be no death, no anger, no sadness. All tears will be wiped away. You will have lions laying with lambs. Like I look at that in the figurative sense, but I also look at it in the literal sense as well. The weather won't be broken. There will be no disease. The frustration that creation itself has been subjected to will also be wiped away. Not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Who do you think the one is they're speaking about? God, Jesus, that's right, subjected it to because of his will. One of the things that we can misconstrue a lot in church is that Jesus was like an afterthought to a fallen world. This right here, what Paul is saying is, is that Jesus was not an afterthought. He's not a novelty. He was a plan in motion, even from the creation of time. So God subjected creation to frustration in his will. Okay, so this is a part of God's will. And it wasn't by creation's choice. Okay, it wasn't. Creation had nothing to do with Adam and Eve doing what they did in the Garden of Eden. But it was in what, what happened in the Garden of Eden, the Eden that creation itself became intertwined with sin itself. We don't think that deep into this. But if we really step back and evaluate the world that we're in, we can all attest that, you know what? Everything in its own right is messed up to an extent. Is it not? Yep. I mean, think about it. Like I said, you can think about the weather, you can think about animals, you think about diseases, you think about all these things, even things that we don't see, 
just everything seems to, in its own sense, have a brokenness to it. And of course, we ourselves have a brokenness to us. It says, once again, by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought in to the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Guys, you will read throughout the scriptures the, 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 the example, the analogy of childbirth. Why do you think that is used so often? How many of you have ever been not through childbirth? I'm going to hit on the dads here. How many of you dads have been with a woman that is going through the pains of childbirth? Okay. How many of you would say that those pains and the, the experience are ones that you would consider a joyful moment and occasion? I won't. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I, I love my wife. I, I yeah, it, it was nuts, right? Just the, 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 the screaming, the yelling, right? Just the, the, no. Okay, I'm sorry. I don't want to like. But what I'm saying is, is, is Paul is using this example for a reason because. What comes after the pain? Joy. A child. Right? Curtis is laughing. <laughs> I don't know if he's laughing when the word... Okay. Okay. Joy lasted for a while, and then I couldn't sleep like the next three days. But no. No. The analogy being used here, though, is important. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Childbirth is used, or you'll even read like birth pains and stuff like that. You'll, you'll see this analogy because it's this meaning or this analogy of suffering that is required to be endured and go through to get to a place of joy. Does that make sense? And, and creation itself, apart from us, the children of God, creation itself has been groaning and moaning and complaining. You guys, it doesn't take long for us to realize and see that creation is kind of messed up. I mean, let's, let's put all the, the stuff to the side. Once again, I keep bringing up social media and the news. Let's put that stuff to the side when it comes to just people. You can look at things going on once again with forest fires out west, things going on in other countries around the world, diseases, stuff like that. Creation itself has been groaning in pains up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. So once again, God has equipped us through the Holy Spirit with these fruits. Remember last week we spoke about fruitfulness and, and how sin chokes that out, but it, it's in the development of fruits that it actually better equips us to deal with future suffering, to help us get more fruits, to then be better at glorifying God. So in a sense, we're called to kind of step into these sufferings that God lays out in front of us because we know that we're getting something back from it as well, which better equips us to glorify Him more. 
this making sense to you guys? So this is the stuff that's saying that even we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves even groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is speaking, once again, to day that's yet to come, the new heaven and the new earth. When we die and our souls depart from our bodies and our bodies are either in the ground, they've been cremated, whatever way that our souls have left our physical body, okay, we are awaiting for the day that's yet to come where those souls will be reunited with our earthly bodies and God will raise us from the dead. I want you guys to understand this. Because this isn't just pretty figurative language. This is literal language. You as the Christians, for you who believe in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior, will never know death, but everlasting life. He's not joking when he says that. That you have a soul that will be reunited with a body that has been dead. A physical body that has died, but your soul is alive. A body that is decayed, a body that is whatever. There will be reconciliation between those two, and God will raise you from the dead. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, guess what? Lives in you now. We've got to grab a hold of that. Like we do, we've got to start as a church realizing that. There are elements to, to that fruit, as we read about earlier last week, that inwardness, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit in you. Things that you start to develop and grow that set you apart from the world around you, set you apart from all the chaos that's going on around you. And we all know that there's a lot of chaos going on right now. Activism and evangelism don't belong in the same room. We have so much going on in the world right now that are elements and routes for evangelism for the church and to better advocate and to better, better preach and spread news that's worth spreading about Jesus Christ. These are things that we have to start accepting and seeing as children of God. For in the hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. I cannot help but understand the relationship between hope and patience. How many of you lack patience? You understand that a big... Sherry, John's How many of you understand and know that patience is a fruit of the Spirit? We hear a lot from people say, don't pray for patience. I know we joke about that as well. If you know within yourself that you lack patience, I stand up here as your pastor to say, pray for it. Pray for it. Because if you lack it, it doesn't matter if you're going through something or you just lack it and everything's going to be kind of a pain in the butt. So if you don't have patience, you're not really going to hold on to hope very long about something, are you not? You're going to see what's in front of you Right? And that is going to be your truth. And what Paul's sitting here saying is, is hope is not things that you can see. So if you're looking at an illness that's going on in your life, you're looking at things going on around you right now that you feel like you can't control, things that are going on in relationships that you have, things that are going on, once again, with health, finances, whatever, and you sit there and you attribute that to some sense of, well, this is my truth right now. 
Guys, the hope is just going to slowly start leaking out of you. And you'll find yourself acting in ways, too, where you have no hope. We see a country and a nation right now of people that are acting like they have no hope. We are the means to this world to start spreading that message of hope. And we know the greatest message in the history of the world when it comes to hope, and that message is about Jesus Christ. And I don't just stand up here to say this to sound good or whatever. This is truth. Like, this is truth. We see it all the time, people, that once again, if, if you're so hung up on the things about yesterday, and you, you, you can't even fathom or begin to see or accept how you're going to function in tomorrow, the actions of today are ones that are completely out of control. They're ones that have no hope. Because the focus just remains on what you're looking at and what you're seeing. But Paul is sitting here saying, no, child of God, that's not hope. Hope is for a day that's yet to come. A hope is, is for something maybe you don't see. In the midst of your suffering and your pain, when my wife was going through pain in childhood, I didn't see the baby. I could see the bump in her stomach. I could see the screaming. I could see the yelling, maybe the occasional swear word. I could, I could hear and see those things. I love how I just get put out there. You're right there, too. There's no secrets. <laughs> but I couldn't see the baby. But I knew the baby was coming. Right? Curtis is laughing again, so I must have said something to make him giggle. I knew the baby was coming. As Christians, we can see the pain. We can see the anger. We can see the suffering. That's not our truth. Our truth is because we know what's to come. We know future glory that we're keeping up even in the midst of our suffering. The only way that we can get through that is through trusting in the Holy Spirit, trusting in Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to say here, which I know I'm, gonna, I'm speaking to a lot of people here, is, is in the same way, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm speaking to a lot of you now in saying this. It's easy for me to say, okay, we can, we can see what's in front of us, but we got to hope for what we don't see and all that. And many of you might be sitting there like, okay, how do we do that? Sounds good, Josh. How do, how do we do that? It says right here, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So first, the, the first objective you guys need to do when you get down on your knees and pray for help is that say that you're weak. You got to say that you're weak. So many of us, so often I hear, I'm trying to be strong for this. I'm trying to be strong for that. I got to be strong for this. No. As a Christian, first and foremost, you got to admit that you're weak. A lot of you in here have tried to do things on your own accord, your own strength, and your own power just to simply get burned out and look back at it and go, what the heck was all that for? Failed miserably. Right? Paul's sitting here saying, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. How many of you, and I want the honest opinion, how many of you have ever been led to just be on your face to God? Because you've been in places that you just don't even know what you should pray for. If you haven't, 
that's where you have to step back and go, I got to start admitting a little bit more weakness in my spirit. That's where I got to step back and, and say, okay, maybe I'm a little proud here because I can, I, I would rather stand for myself than be face down for God right now. How many of you have gotten down on your knees and, or even standing and you want to pray to the Lord, but you don't know what to say? Maybe just a sigh comes out or groan. I've had that happen before. Or you literally, you're, you're speechless. I don't know what is going on right now. When we were in the hotel room in, in Kentucky, and I was with Des, I, I, I told her I was sorry for all the stuff on TV, and I remember I wanted to pray, and I really didn't know what to pray for. Paul says that even in the midst of those times where you don't know what to say, even in your groans, that the Spirit intercedes and speaks for you. He doesn't speak against you. He speaks for you to God the Father. He woos you closer to Him in the midst of that submission of weakness. If you don't come to Him in weakness, you're, you're completely blocking all of this from taking place and happening. There's a beauty in submission that culture and society wants to completely keep you guys away from. We live in a time where we have to let everyone know what we think, how we feel, what we think needs to be done. We throw opinions out like they're nothing. We have to live lives that are led by the Holy Spirit, lives that are led and interceded by the Holy Spirit, even in our prayer life. Because as I said up here last week, you can't lie to God, and even in our prayers, it's one of those things where you can't pull a fast one over on them. Pretty honest times for us when we're, when we're praying to the Lord. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. I love talking about Jesus' model for prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Because he breaks down for you perfectly. But, and it even says before he goes into it that before you ask God for anything, he already knows what you need. So when we pray to the Lord about stuff, it's not really like a petition of requests. God knows what we need because he has a will in place, which we just spoke about a little bit ago about creation being subjected to frustration was a part of his will because in that will there was a hope then it too would experience glory and redemption. So even in our prayers, the first thing we need to recognize and realize is Jesus modeled for us is that we need to declare God holy. Hallowed be thy name. We have to recognize that. We recognize his sovereignty. We recognize his control. His, his ordinance over everything in creation. But we also have to align our desires with his and our will with his. Because what you'll find and see is constant conflict in your life. I did a little blip podcast thing because I heard this, this quote that I love. It says that until we as Christians understand and fear God's 
ability to steer our abilities, our abilities become liabilities. So if you and I try to do things on our own accord through the way that we want to do it, as that first song said, as we played it, I'm tired of, of chasing feelings. If we keep doing things off of feelings and emotion, which once again, we spoke about three elements last week, the world broadcasts in. So what does that do? It evokes emotions in us. When we see people spouting off about opinions and things like that, what does it do? Once again, I'm bringing up social media. Like, it's one of those things where it is, Jelaine looks at me and then she's like, you're right. Like, maybe she just thought I was like getting old and I'm grumpy, like, ah, oh, darn kids are on social media and it's met. No. Like, it's bad. It's bad. It makes even the most sound-rooted Christian that I've seen sometimes say some stuff where I'm like, what? <laughs> like, really? Or the subliminal relays, right? Share. Beep. I didn't say it. I'm just sharing it. It's not good. You are called to be set apart. And I'm not, once again, I'm not saying this trying to talk high and holy to you. The reason why I stepped away from it was because I was like everyone else. I was no different. What Paul is sitting here and speaking about and saying is, is, is that there are things that we will go through. There are things that we will endure that we have to keep our focus on and through the Holy Spirit. He has to guide our daily lives. And if we do things on our own emotions and our own abilities, if we take the ability... Guys, when you meet as many people as I've met in the last four years, you get an idea of their character. And now I start to see people just kind of through kingdom work. And when I see a woman that's bold, right, speaks boldly, or I see a guy that's just bold or speaks intelligently or, or whatever, and I might see things on social media. I know that they're, they're, they're sanctification in process or whatever. You can't help but just sit there and go like, man, when God really transforms them and starts to take their abilities that he's gifted them and uses it for kingdom work, like, watch out. Like, watch out. Because... I don't bash your character in a sense. Like, I believe that the things that you've been through have, in a sense, molded you to be who you are. But that's the beauty and the power of God is he takes who you are. He meets you where you're at. He, he gives you the supernatural rebirth. And then he's like, no more are you a child of the world, but now you're a child of mine. And I'm going to use you to better glorify me to do this kingdom work. But it starts with this understanding and this submission to the Holy Spirit. Something that Jelaine and I know that we really want to start teaching more on as well. But once again, it starts with this submission and this declaration of weakness. Once again, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So when we pray, when we find ourselves in that place where we don't know what to say, 
The Spirit intercedes for us. He speaks to God. He speaks to God the Father. And the beautiful thing about that, having the Holy Spirit speak on your behalf, is guess what? God always listens to the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because God and the Holy Spirit are one. He's a great advocate to have in your prayer life. So when you sit there and think that, oh, no words are coming out and all that, the Holy Spirit says here, he searches your heart. Because even though it's verbally not coming out, your heart's speaking values. If it be that it's broken, if it be that it's full of joy, if it be that it's worried, anxious, if it be that it's filled with anger, resentment, Holy Spirit speaks to the Lord on your behalf. Once again, not against you, but he speaks for you. And he speaks in a way and a manner, too, that aligns up according to God's will on your life. This makes sense. Okay, Joanne, did you want to add anything? Next week, I want you guys to go through this. I want you guys to start reading this because I am going to teach on this next week. And it's only going to be verses 8, or Romans 8.28 through 8.30. Okay, I'm going to read it to you guys real quick. But I want you guys to get in it beforehand so when we meet next week, you guys will be prepared. I want you guys to study this as well. Study it. Pastor's giving you a Bible study for the week. Some devotionals to get into. Get your Googling ready and all that fun stuff. Whatever. I want you guys in the Word this week. And I want to start doing this more as your pastor as well. There's no reason why as a church we come together that we're all not on the same page. I don't need to hold back what I'm going to teach you guys about trying to make myself seem superior to you right? I want you guys to learn this with me as well. I want to teach it to you, but I want you guys to kind of have an idea of the material that's going to be covered as well. Okay, so Romans 8.28 through 8.30, and this is a passage that many of us have heard, right, when it comes to God working all things out, right, for our good and His glory. But there's more to this, more that we need to speak and teach about. It says that we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Let's say that again. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. There's a lot there. A lot that people don't understand or know. Okay? We're going to teach this next week. So Romans 8, 28 through 30. You guys write it down, bookmark it. Whatever you need to do will be what we go through next week.